0: are the good giver from whom uh, come down all good gifts with no variation or shadow of change. Now, Lord, you're the one who has created us. You've created food and drink and taste buds. Uh, you've given us delight in the things that you've made, uh, but we pray that you would give us delight in yourself. We pray that you would help us to think uh, biblically and rightly and spiritually about the things that we put into our bodies. We pray that we would uh, live and eat and drink and whatever we do, that we would do it to the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, as we're getting started here, before we get into the, the main topic today, just a little bit of housekeeping, give you a schedule for where we're headed today. We're talking about moderation. Uh, next week, Chris Campelli, who's on notice uh, currently, uh, <laughs> next week... Chris Campelli is going to do a follow-up uh, in some ways to his previous session where he was talking about peacekeeping and dealing with conflict with one another. Uh, and he got a lot of questions about, wow, that's really hard. And so Chris is going to be leading a session on the practical gospel in action. You may remember that a while ago we talked about how we were hopping over the gospel. Uh, that I, I told you, you know, here are some things we need to understand and here's, uh, we're putting the gospel in place and I, I skipped Uh, the actual gospel, and Chris is going to talk about that. He's going to talk about putting the gospel in action. The following week, we will not have Sunday school because it's Thanksgiving weekend. And then December 5th, we're going to have a special session. We're going to cancel all of our lower classes. We haven't told those teachers yet, but we'll let them know. Uh, We're going to cancel all of our lower classes and gather everybody together because the session is currently in the process of examining uh, men for ordination the candidates that we have. Uh, And by December 5th, we'll have all of those ordination examinations done, and we will be ready to present that slate of candidates for you. We will vote on those candidates in early January. But what we're going to do on December 5th uh, is we're going to have a panel discussion with those men so that you can get to see them and know them, uh, and you can hear a little bit from them and consider uh, what the Lord is doing in their lives, what the Lord is doing in our church as you prepare prayerfully to vote The beginning of January. So that's just a little bit of housekeeping. Let's get into the discussion. We'll start with a couple passages to get us thinking in the right direction this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to 19 says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. As a bit of a juxtaposition to that, we have one of the Beatitudes from Christ, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We're talking about moderation today. We're talking about food and drink. But I, I want you to know another week, another caveat. My caveat this week is I have no interest in giving you nutritional advice. Uh, there is uh, there's no end to the crazies out there who want to take the Bible as another code for what we ought to eat, just like they want to take the Bible as a code for uh, a schedule of the end times, right? And so you can... Uh, you can deduce the code that's in scripture. You can find the particular dieting plan. According to the Bible, you can go and you can buy your Ezekiel bread or you can go and buy your books that tell you how to, how to do a vegetable cleanse just like Daniel and his three friends in Babylon. I have no interest in that. I'm not qualified to give you nutritional advice. I don't care if you eat paleo or Mediterranean or keto or you do Weight Watchers. If you want to talk to a nutritionist, Karen Wannick would be happy to talk to you after the service. Today we're talking about food and drink in spiritual terms. We're thinking about living in a spiritual way with regard to what we put into our body. And the two texts uh, on the screen in front of you show us, in a sense, two ways of living. Everybody needs to eat, but some people live to eat. Uh, Some people love nothing more than, uh, than feeding their senses and their appetites. For some of us, we are tempted more by food and drink than others are. Uh, and the call of the gospel is a call to living with a hunger and a thirst for the things of God rather than for the sake of indulging our appetites. Also helpful as we think about food and drink uh, to realize that the way the scripture speaks of uh, the things that we put into our body, the, the foods that we eat and the, the drinks that we drink, uh, they speak of them often in ways to tell us spiritual truths. Right? We talked about this a while ago when we were talking about marriage and sexuality uh, we talked about it a while ago when we talked about work. Some of these things are reflections of who God is and who he's created us to be. And in some ways they're metaphors of the satisfaction and the enjoyment uh, that we're supposed to find in the Lord. And so we, we can't, as believers in the gospel, we can't just live as people who don't know God and don't realize that he's made the world We can't just engage in eating and drinking the way the rest of the world does, thinking that we're just material beings and these are just materials that we put into our body uh, and we enjoy them or we don't enjoy them. Uh, This is an overlooked topic. I have never preached a sermon on gluttony. Uh, I have preached a sermon on drinking. Uh, I will probably never preach uh, another sermon uh, on gluttony. I'm not preaching this morning, but uh, unless you go through a very specific set of texts, you often don't come up against some of these things. And so uh, today we're talking about moderation, and just to break it down, two, two passages or two ways of approaching it. First, I hope that we'll understand the sins of gluttony and drunkenness, asking, in a sense, the question, what's so wrong with a little too much? And then we'll talk about restraining the sins of gluttony and drunkenness, or if you prefer, a positive way to look at it, growing our appetite for the things of God. Now, you are aware that this is, uh, this is a class that nobody wanted to teach, <laughs> Uh, this is the one that nobody felt qualified to teach. And so uh, the elders uh, decided that instead of picking straws to see who would get this one, we would decide that whatever elder had the highest body mass index would have to lead this class. And so, uh, so here I am. Uh, that's not really true uh, in the sense that it's not true how we chose who would teach. Um, but it, it is a, a way to think about, you know, when we think, <laughs> when we think about gluttony, uh, do we think simplistically? There's a way of thinking about gluttony that is pretty simplistic that essentially says gluttony is obesity. If you're a large person, you're obviously a glutton. If you're not a large person, you're not a glutton. And so we, we align these two things that uh, there is, of course, a, a corollary between sinful gluttony uh, and uh, the expansion of your waistline. Uh, but we can think about it very, very simplistically. We can think about uh, drinking alcohol the same way. As long as I can function, as long as I can go to work, as long as I can get by and I'm not hurting anybody else, uh, what's so wrong with a little bit too much? Listen to a sermon this week on gluttony from Carl Robbins. I really like Carl Robbins, he's a pastor down in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, But his opening line to his sermon, and he said lots of really good things in his sermon, he began by saying, Americans are gluttons and American Christians aren't much better. He might have a point, actually. But again, there's this simplistic way of thinking about gluttony that essentially looks at this CDC map and says, well, here are the places that gluttony is an issue. And this, of course, is the prevalence of American adults with a BMI above 30. Uh, and so you see the dark red, uh, all those barbecue lovers down in the south. And here we are, if you can't see it, in our, our tiny green little enclave up in the north, Massachusetts. We obviously don't have a problem with uh, with gluttony, because our prevalence of obesity uh, is much different. Uh, and again, we can, we can think about uh, drunkenness the same, uh, the same way. But I think there's a better way to think about these things. In fact, there is a, a more classic way to think about the sins of gluttony, the sins of drunkenness, uh, that it's more than just how does it affect our waistline or our health. Here's what Richard Baxter says. Uh, he says, gluttony... Is the voluntary excess in eating for the pleasing of the appetite or some other carnal end? Now, what does he mean by some other carnal end? Uh, Richard Baxter, uh, 17th century guy, he he wrote this book uh, called The Christian Directory. It is several huge volumes of really tiny text and it's probably best to think of his Christian directory as the the first Christian counseling manual. He goes through just a whole litany of sins and vices that we deal with, and he, uh, in true Puritan fashion, just lists out, well, here are the various sins that are involved in this. Here are the various ways to guard against this. He gives you list upon list upon list. He situates sins in connection with others, but he begins his section on gluttony, and, and he puts drunkenness right next to it. We'll see that as we go along, uh, that these are often, especially in Scripture and in, in theology, uh, twin sins, gluttony and drunkenness. But he says, gluttony is the voluntary excess in eating for the pleasing of the appetite or some other carnal end. Now, as a proof text to what he's uh, telling us here, uh, he cites the passage in Exodus, uh, or maybe it's Numbers, I believe, where, where the people want more than manna. God has supplied everything they need, but they really want some meat. They're not hungry, they're not starving, but they want something different, something uh, a little more delicate. And so the Lord gives them so much quail, he says, that it'll come out of their noses. And while the meat is yet in their teeth, his anger burns against them. Uh, The meat is in their teeth, not his. Um, And so he's saying, in a sense, Look, gluttony is about more than just, does it affect your waistline? It's about, uh, do your appetites take control? Is it uh, an overabundance of just taking what you need? And so he speaks about excess in various ways. He defines gluttony as excess in quantity. That's what we typically think of. You eat more than you need. Uh, He also talks about excess in terms of quality. Uh, You're very particular. I won't eat those things. I must eat the best and the finest. Uh, I must go above and beyond. Just a a meager thing isn't enough for me. I I can't have uh, a a dinner of soup with no meat. I must have roast beef. Uh, He talks about gluttony in excess of frequency, what today we would probably call snacking, by the way. Um, Those who eat outside of the appointed times. There are seasons of the day for eating, and I see those elbows being thrown back there. Uh, There are seasons of the day for eating, and if you go outside those seasons, those allotted times, uh, you're taking in more than you need. He also talks about length. Those that have these feasts over and over again, they're just these sumptuous long, and maybe you're not eating too much, but you know you go to those fancy restaurants, and it's one tiny course and a second tiny course, and a third tiny course, and a fourth tiny course. And you just sit there, and you can spend hours just eating your one regular meal. He talks about uh, excess of cost. Do you spend more than you should to feed your body? He talks about excess of curiosity. This is an interesting one. He, He talks about those who are always searching for a new way to sauce something, or to season something, or to to get some new combination, some exotic thing. Remember this is 17th century England and so you've got the English fleets going all over the world bringing back all these spices and people are very interested to try these things and to try new curiosities. And so he talks about gluttony more than just uh, what we might think of in terms of did you eat too much yesterday, but but really a sort of expansive way of looking at it. as you read Baxter, you might, be, you might be tempted to have this sort of knee-jerk reaction and say there's no way that all those things are gluttony. We, we know what gluttony is. But actually, he is pretty representative uh, of the classical view of what gluttony is. Uh, it's more in our modern contemporary day that we have truncated it down to just do you eat so much that, that uh, your waistline is expanding. In fact, here's John Newton. John Newton says that a propensity to indulgence, either in the quantity or quality of food, there's the same distinction there, either in the quantity or quality of food, is a meanness, unworthy of a man, still more unsuitable to the character of a Christian, and scandalous in a minister. Well, here I am. Um, mea culpa. Um, now, when you, when you follow this through, you see it showing up uh, in other good places. I... I forgot the book at home. I was going to read an excerpt today from the Screwtape Letters. Instead, uh, if you want, go home and read chapter 17 of, uh, of your copy of the Screwtape Letters, if you have it. Uh, that chapter is all about gluttony and about the way gluttony hides in unexpected places. Uh, Screwtape says later uh, to Wormwood that one of the best ways to get males involved in gluttony is, uh, is to get them through their vanity. Oh, I must have a steak perfectly cooked. Uh, I can't go to just any old place. And then vanity becomes habit, he says. He's talking here uh, in the two uh, quotes that I have for you about uh, the subject's mother, this old lady who just likes little things. What do quantities matter, provided we can use a human belly and palate to produce quarrelsomeness, impatience, uncharitableness, and self concern. Then he goes on, the real value of the quiet, unobtrusive work which glubos, that's the gluttonous demon, uh, which glubos has been doing for years on this old woman can be gauged by the way in which her belly now dominates her whole life. And he says that she's involved in the same sort of things, that she is in the all-I-want stage of life. All I want is just one egg perfectly cooked. But nobody can make that egg perfectly cooked for her, and so she's continually unsatisfied. And though it's a very little thing, it is, uh, it is a, a picture of gluttony. Now, what do you think about this approach? Uh, what do we gain? And, and again, I, I'm speaking mostly about food, but we can think in the same terms about alcohol as well. Um, well, I, I, I don't drink uh, just house wine, uh, when, I, when I go out to eat I must have uh, the perfect pairing, I, I must have the vintage that has the perfect aromas, and, and, and we can get very pretentious. We can get very pretentious about our coffee, right? We pride ourselves, well, I'm a coffee snob, I don't drink that stuff, uh, and, and all these other ways. What do you think uh, we gain from this approach, sort of the C.S. Lewis, Richard Baxter sort of expansive view of gluttony, or what are we losing? Is it getting too complicated? Do you think? Just at this point, some reactions, Ronnie. Okay. Yeah. 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 And and that's the that's the point, particularly of the C.S. Lewis issue, right? Uh, the ungratefulness. He he goes on again. You'll have to read that section. He talks about how. Um, you know, some overworked waitress will put a plate down in front of this woman and she'll say, oh, no, no, I couldn't eat all that. Uh, and, and she says, really, I'm, I'm just trying to, uh, to keep from wasting too much, but it's this sense of uh, nothing is, is right for me. Or, uh, you know, I, I don't want to put anybody out, but it's really self-focused rather than other focus. It's, it's this selfishness that's going on here. Other ideas. Do you, do you think this is right, or should we, should we just go and say, you know, as long as I'm not fat... Uh we're we're doing okay, Bill. So, uh, we had a a of
1: weeks
0: ago. Oh boy. <laughs> Indeed. Absolutely. In fact, sorry, go ahead. Thanksgiving's coming up. Yeah. In fact, if you notice that little side picture there, that's a Thanksgiving feast for you uh, to make you think about all those things and your cranberry sauce and, uh, and, and all the accoutrement. Uh, and we had a, a Sunday school just last week where I told you on Sunday, maybe you should drink the good wine, right? And there are times for feasting. There are times for excitement and enjoyment. Uh, and, and I would say... Um, you know, you, you've got Jesus in the New Testament talking about fasting, and he says they can't fast while the bridegroom is with them. There are seasons where maybe you should eat until you're nice and full, because that's the the feeling of not till you're overfull and uh, you know burdening your body with these things. But maybe there's a season in which uh, satisfaction and rejoicing in the gifts of God. But but I think we ought to make sure that those don't cross paths where they should be. We also talked last week about our, uh, our uh, work creeping into our leisure, our leisure creeping into our work, and now we don't have any boundaries, so it's all just this, this mess, right? Uh, there are seasons, there are gifts that we should receive with gladness. It is a gift of God. Uh, other thoughts? I thought I saw a hand. Maybe not. Yeah, Dave. Dave. Yeah, 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 and, and it's the sort of thing that might, um, might catch up with you. One of the dangers, Baxter goes on to say, uh, I would encourage you to read the section on Bas- uh, Baxter's section on gluttony, but it'll put you to sleep. Um, he goes on to say that one of the dangers of gluttony is that it kills you, but not all at once like some other things, it's very slow. So even in the 17th century, they're looking at gluttony and saying, oh, there's some health risks that come along with this, but they, they build, and they might creep up on you later, and by the time they become a health issue, uh, the spiritual issue is already long gone, and you've already lost uh, your ability to exercise self-control. Yeah, John. Mm-hmm. yeah so uh so all that to say, John is going to be embarking on a forty day fast and he's going to have a sign up sheet out in the hall for everybody who wants to no, no uh, precisely the point, John uh, that we do not live by bread alone um, and and to think that we do is to give in to the lie of materialism, right What is the most important thing? Well, the most important thing is if you have the right macro balance or if you have the right calorie count or if You can drink the right alcohols in a way that makes you just enjoy their aroma or whatever you want to call it. Um, But all of that, to to put those things before what's going on spiritually, is to give into, uh, and here's where we're going with this, to give into idolatry. What we need, when we think about gluttony and drunkenness, to sort of situate where it is, we need a a kind of taxonomy. And I'm not going to give you the whole thing here, uh, but when you think about, you know, what is this animal? Well, there's... My wife will remember, I will not. Kingdom, phylum, class, order, genus, species, I think that's the, I don't know, we have a mnemonic device for my kids um, to remember that taxonomy, right? Um, Well, we we need to situate gluttony and drunkenness in the same way. And so if we we put them in large categories, these sins, well, probably the largest category of sin would be dividing, is it rebellion against God or is it replacement of God? Well, gluttony and drunkenness are a sin of replacement. It's a sin of idolatry. That's the whole idea of that Philippians three nineteen verse that we began with. Uh, they glory in their shame. Their God is their belly, right? It's this physical appetite. And really, I think Paul is talking about more than just food there. Uh, we'll see as we look in 1 Corinthians that sometimes uh, pleasing the physical appetites for food are a euphemism for other physical appetites. Uh, But regardless, it is living in the world as though our whole means uh, and our whole point is to fulfill the appetites we have, and that really is a sin of idolatry. And so it's not just, uh, you know, simple enough to think about gluttony and drunkenness to say what are the effects it has on your body, but first of all to say what is the effect that it has on your soul? What are you telling yourself by engaging in these sins about what is ultimately important? Do you live by bread alone? Or do you live by every word that comes from the mouth of God? Who's God, uh, or, or who is your God, rather, and what is directing you? Uh, secondly, and, and I'm going to get some people to pick up uh, some of these passages here, it's a sin of wastefulness. Can I get somebody to grab Deuteronomy 21 18 to 21? Volunteer, please. Thanks, Nick. Deuteronomy 21 verses 18 to 21, and Mike was volunteering for Proverbs 23. 19 to 21. And I want you to listen to these twin sins uh, linked up here and, and the way that the scriptures speak about them. I've all told Nick that so uh, he'll need some time to find it. Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. And while they're looking up, I need volunteers for the next two. Who so can get Ephesians 5? Greg's got Ephesians 5, and Chris has 1 Corinthians 6. Thank you. Go ahead, Nick. Now, uh, Nick, I'm suggesting that this is talking about a sin of wastefulness, but the language there uh, is of rebellion. Um, let's play what is the pastor thinking. What is being wasted in in this uh, situation, if that's actually what's going on? Step into my world for a minute. Bill? Well, it's the child the it's wasted the parents' teaching. hmm yeah yeah he has they have a rebellious son this guy's still living in their house right uh and and he will not be uh he will not be directed uh instead he goes his own way he feeds his own appetite uh and this is a rebellion against his uh the authority of his parents uh but again you see this uh this connection there Uh, a glutton and a drunkard, this sort of profligate way of living. Mike, you had Proverbs 23. Yeah, Teresa. Yes. 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 They killed him. Yes. They were supposed to. Uh, We don't know if it ever actually happened. We don't have records of whether they actually did that. Uh, But they would kill a man who was a glutton and a drunkard. Why would they do such things, Teresa? Let me ask you your question, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The severity of the punishment um is is not just because he's eating too much or drinking too much, but because he's rejecting the authority of his parents okay uh and that's a really big deal in Israel. You notice, uh, as you look at the Ten Commandments, we typically divide them into two tables, four commandments dealing with our duty to God, and six commandments dealing with our duty to one another. And the first of those latter six uh, is the commandment to honor our father and mother. Maybe, depending on how you look at them, there's sort of a descending severity, uh, but it puts honor your father and mother before thou shalt not kill. Uh, and so that's pretty important, actually. Um, It it is respecting your parents' authority. Why? Well, because it teaches you to respect the authority of God. Uh, And those who do not respect the authority structures that God has put in place, it's not just about their sin, but it's about the influence of their sin among the people. Notice at the end of that passage that Nick read, thus you shall purge the evil from among you. The idea is that like leaven, these things will spread. Pretty soon you will have an entire society, an entire culture, that is rebellious, that doesn't listen to parents, that has uh, nothing to do with God and His authority. And so it is a preventative measure for the sake of the society. Does that make sense? Yeah. Chris? Yeah.
2: essentially raped his concubine to death. Uh
0: Yeah, and, and authority is a big deal uh, in Israelite society, and it's not just a, a, a sense that that particular sin will spread, um, that, you know, if, if this guy gets away with being a glutton and a drunkard, then everybody's going to be a fat, lazy drunk. Uh, well, they might be, um, but further than that, they will reject the authority of God. The, the end goal or the end game in, in that trajectory is not just a bunch of fat people. The end game in that trajectory is Nietzsche. God is dead and we've killed him. We want nothing to do with the Lord and his authority. Uh, and so that's exactly what, what Chris is, is bringing out for us. Maybe I should have uh, split these into rebellion and wastefulness, but I think the next one, Proverbs 23, is going to show us a little bit more of, uh, of the wastefulness aspect. Mike, you've got that one for us. Okay, so here the passage is not talking so much uh, about the spiritual uh, repercussions, although it's certainly implied, but it's speaking about the physical repercussions. You spend all your money and all your time pursuing food and drink, you'll end up in the poorhouse. You'll take all of your resources and you'll just waste them. You'll, you'll, you'll become the lazy person, the sluggard in Proverbs who, what's he doing? Well, uh, you know, it gets to the point where that he's he's so lazy, his hand goes to the bowl, and he can't even bring it up. Well, well what does he want? Well, he still wants to eat, but he, he's not even uh, you know able to to feed himself. That's the that's the sort of um, physical implication of some of these things. But you notice this combination of drunkenness and gluttony, uh, and this passage in in Deuteronomy, this passage in Proverbs. This is an important twinning. Uh, and, uh, and combination of these sins so that when you get to the New Testament and the people are pointing at Jesus and saying a glutton and a drunkard, right? This is a way of saying that he is a complete rebellious son. He's going around having parties with sinners. He's going around drinking wine. And yes, Jesus drank alcoholic wine. They called him a drunkard. It wasn't true, uh, but they had a basis for their accusation. Um, and so this is a way in scripture of, of taking these two uh, exemplary sins and putting them together and saying, this is what it looks like to be an idolatrous, rebellious, wasteful person. All right. Uh, Also, uh, they are sins of unrestraint. And so uh, who had, uh, Greg, you had Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. Read those for us. What's the problem there, Greg? What's what's going on that needs to be corrected? Yeah, yep. Please, please do. And you use that phrase, Greg, under the influence. You know, here in Massachusetts, they, they issue OWIs, operating while intoxicated. In, in Pennsylvania, they had DUIs, driving under the influence. Uh, and it's really this juxtaposition between, are you under the influence of alcohol? Uh, is it lowering your inhibitions? Is it, uh, is it influencing the way that you speak in ways that you normally might not? Uh, in derogatory ways, speaks about debauchery there. Or are you under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Uh, is he the directing force in your life? Is he fitting you and preparing you and equipping you for worship, for encouragement, for building up one another, for, uh, for striving together for the good of the gospel? Uh, and, and there's this distinction here. Uh, what are you restrained by? Are you throwing off restraint? Are you giving yourself to the influence of this substance, or are you under the restraint, under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Good. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13? Chris, did you have that? All right, here's another uh, instance where the appetites of the flesh, uh, specifically for food, are a euphemism for other things, other appetites, sexual appetites in this, in this sense. Uh, but there's uh, a reality to the metaphor, right? The metaphor only works because the food and the stomach analogy works. Uh, and so, Chris, what's the problem there that Paul is addressing? What is he trying to get us to see about the sins of indulging our appetites.
2: And so our, our bodies aren't, are, While well, he blesses us with things that satisfy us and, and things that are pleasing to us that they're not the ultimate, the ultimate pleasure, the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate blessing that we can have in our life is to, you know, to go back to the first answer the first question of the confession, glorify God and enjoy it forever. Yeah. These
0: other things distract us from it because the with, with Yeah, yeah, yeah. and notice the language there in Paul about being mastered. This is his counter. He's, he's kind of quoting the Corinthians. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. In, in a sense, well, why would God make these appetites and the things that meet these appetites if we shouldn't put them together? It only makes sense. It's like Legos, right? Uh, you put, one's got the little things that stick up and one's got the little holes and you put them together, that's what they're there for. Well, the idea with this, Paul says, here's his rebuttal. Yeah, but, but don't be mastered by these things, right? Don't, don't give yourself. We typically think of, uh, of indulging in food or drink as a sort of lack of restraint, right? We're just gonna, we're gonna do what feels good. We're gonna indulge. We're gonna just have a little bit more. And Paul's saying, you're not unrestrained. You're actually being mastered. If you're uh, appetites are the thing that is driving you. You are mastered by those appetites. We can see that specifically uh, when it comes to alcohol and its addictive tendencies, but we can also see it with food, which can be addictive, right? Uh, and, and that desire to uh, well, it becomes a part of our lifestyle. Just just one more snack, just one more sweet, just one more piece of chocolate, whatever it is, uh, and, and we end up being mastered by these things. Dave? You can, sure. Yeah, I don't know if I'll understand you, but you certainly can. Yeah. Well, out of the mouths of babes and psychiatrists, I would say, um, uh, the Lord has ordained his truth. So uh, I, I think he's spot on, if that's what he's saying. What is uh, actually able to cure the drunkard? Well, keep reading in First Corinthians, uh, and Paul says, don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, or sexually immoral uh, nor the greedy, nor the thief, nor the drunkard, and he lists a bunch of other sins. Uh, will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, the Lord has given you a new life, a new heart, a new identity, and he speaks of a spiritual conversion. And so, if, if these sins are uh, at their root, sins of idolatry, the only thing that can fix them uh, is finding the right God. Right? Uh, knowing that he is our Lord, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, living for him and satisfaction in him. Yeah, so I I think that is uh, a good connection there with Carl Jung. Pagan though he may be. All right. Uh, And then one more thing to add to this is we're thinking about, I've mostly been talking about the sins of these things, Uh, but Bill pointed out a while ago, and we don't want to lose sight of the fact uh, that some of these uh, things that we're talking about, even drink, uh, even, uh, you know, short of intoxication, the idea that God speaks in the scriptures of, uh, of having glad hearts through is a gift. And there's some wisdom to discern, well, what is gladness of heart and what is intoxication and where is the line? And I, I can't tell you a hard and fast rule for you. Um, but we, we ought not to lose sight of the fact that these are actually good gifts given by the Lord to his people, to teach us spiritual truths. Here's what Isaiah says. This is a sort of precursor that that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John in the book of Revelation picks up these ideas and speaks of the marriage supper of the Lamb in a lot of these terms. Isaiah 25, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away all tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. What is the picture of ultimate final redemption? It's a feast, right? Tears are gone. God's people are gathered. We're engaged in eating and drinking the best food and drink. It is this wonderful, sensual experience in the sense that our senses are engaged. And again, let's, let's think. Well, uh, kind of like what I said a, a few weeks ago, the scripture speaks of hell in terms of fire. Does that mean that there is literal fire in hell? Maybe, but it's at least that bad. Well, is there literal food and drink in heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, Well, maybe, uh, but it's at least that good, right? It's the best that we can comprehend, and so God stoops down and speaks to us in ways that we can understand. And what does he give us? Well, he gives us marrow. Anybody ever had marrow? Oh, it's good. (laughs) Uh, Somebody gave us a, a, a gift certificate to one of these fancy pants restaurants in Cambridge that we would never pay to go to on our own. And we had, uh, it was like beef fest. Uh, we had all these things. And one of the things that we had was marrow on crew. Uh, and so we had these little toasts and you could spread the, ma- oh, it was good. It was like, it was like uh, if you had butter that was churned out of filet mignon. It was awesome. So it talks about marrow. It talks, <laughs> it talks about well-aged wine. It talks about all these wonderful things. Why? Because that's sort of like the best we can comprehend. That's, that's the best that we can do. And this is meant to teach us and to whet our appetites for what the Lord is doing. So, if we think about back to our, our original question, understanding the sins of gluttony and drunkenness, what's so wrong with a little too much? Here's what's wrong that a moderate use of food and drink seeks to replace God's goodness with God's gifts, it seeks to find our greatest blessedness in the experience of our appetite. It is idolatry, that's the problem. Uh, And we can talk, if we needed to or if we wanted to go on, we could talk about uh, the health problems, and and you could talk specifically about the spiritual problems. Think about um, uh, Jonathan Edwards and his resolutions. He had at least two resolutions that dealt with what he ate and what he drank. One, he said that he would resolve uh, only to eat so much as to fit him for the work that he had to do, spiritual and otherwise. You eat too much, you drink too much, you get drowsy, you're not engaged with what the Lord has called you to. Uh, and then uh, Resolution 40, I think it was, he he resolved to evaluate every day uh, whether he exercised moderation in these things. So we can talk about the health stuff, but here's the real problem. It's it's an idolatry that seeks to replace God's goodness with God, God's gifts. Chris? Uh, it, it might be <laughs> Yeah. That that when when we look at food and as a gift, we're
2: replacing the giver who ultimately gives himself and his presence and his fellowship and the uh, enormity the of that gift mm-hmm. with you know, the, the, gift, the other gifts.
0: that That's a that's a fine point, well made, Chris. I'll take that. Um, yeah, good. So seeking to replace God and and the goodness of his presence and his grace, his interaction with his people, seeking to find something else. All right, so with 10 minutes left, uh, let's fix our gluttony and our drunkenness. What do we do? What are we supposed to think about this? How can we grow our appetites for the things of God? Here's John Calvin. He says, nothing is more difficult than to forsake all carnal thoughts, to subdue and renounce our false appetites, to devote ourselves to God and to our brethren, and to live the life of angels in the world of corruption. <laughs> uh, reference here that map that I showed you earlier uh, from the CDC, and uh, reference uh, Sarah and I were looking at the uh, the other one that shows you the maps from 1986 every year, and the colors getting brighter and darker. Um, you know, a world of corruption. Uh, we live in a place where these things are easy and they're acceptable. Uh, think again how uh how we sort of laugh and say, Oh, they're they're such a coffee snob. They love uh just only the finest things. These things are easy. It's a world of corruption. What can we do? Um well what can you do? It's difficult. Well, how do we how do we do these things? How do we grow in these areas? Ronnie? So this comes clearly across as the